we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through uh, verse 13. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Uh, neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. <coughs> but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I want you to notice the phrase that we find in verse number 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I want you to notice those three words, lest he fall. And I want to borrow those words for our title this evening. And I want to change one word lest we fall, lest we fall. Because not only is he dealing with the potential of a man falling, he's really dealing with the potential that all of us have to fall. So lest we fall. And in this text, we're going to discover three truths that we must remember and apply to our daily lives if we're to keep from falling. And so I want us to, to pray together and then we'll examine uh, those three truths that we must remember and apply to our daily lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we receive from it. We thank you that you are our teacher and the Holy Spirit, our comforter, is teaching us that Lord Jesus, you are proclaiming your truth to us through your word. And so I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear. And I pray that we would be obedient to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The three truths that we need to learn and remember and apply to our daily lives if we're to keep from falling are as follows. Number one, there's a warning to heed. Number two, there's a watch to keep. And number three, there is a way to escape. And so I want us to note these things. We'll begin, first of all, 
with a warning to heed. Lest we fall, there is a warning to heed. Look again, if you would please, in verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, if you would go ahead and look forward to verse six. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now here we find in these verses that the apostle Paul is writing to bring us to an awareness of the dangers that we face as believers. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter number eight, the question concerned liberty, Christian liberty. And Paul gave them three boundaries for their liberty, or for their liberty, three limits rather, uh, on their limit on their liberty. The first was the limit of knowledge, the limit of knowledge, and he speaks about the fact that all men have not the same knowledge, and uh, what we don't know, well, that can hurt us, right? And uh, there were believers in Corinth who who had more knowledge than others, and so those who did not possess the same amount of knowledge, well, certain things they weren't aware of. And so Paul talked to them about the limits of knowledge. Then he spoke to them about the limits of conscience, what your conscience will allow you to do, what your conscience will keep you from doing. And if you remember, the particular context was eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. The believers in Corinth were struggling with that question. Could they go to one of the meals at a neighbor's home perhaps and eat meat that had been offered to idols? That meat was sold in the marketplaces often. Sometimes meals were held in dining rooms in the pagan temples. People were invited to come to those meals as well. That was a part of their culture, not only their religious practice. And then he spoke of the limit of love, understanding that weaker brethren can be offended. And if you love your brother, there are certain things that you will not do, even though you may have liberty to do them. There's no knowledge that you have that would prohibit you from doing it. Your conscience does not prohibit you from doing it, but yet it might offend someone. And because you love the brethren and do not want to cause them to stumble, there are certain things that you will not do. So those are the limits on our liberty. And Paul is still dealing with this subject as we come to chapter number 10. In chapter number nine, he spoke of his own liberty and the example that he set for them as the apostle. And now he's dealing again with this theme in chapter number 10. And the, the concern is that in the practice of their liberty, that they might fall, that they, they might have a tendency to be overthrown in the wilderness. Now we need to understand, he's speaking here about uh, the 
children of Israel who were delivered from Egyptian bondage. Uh, they are uh, a type, examples, or the word insample is used as well, uh, for us. They were a type for the Corinthians and a type for us to teach us a lesson because they all enjoyed the blessings of God. They all enjoyed the benefits of being a part of the family of God. Now notice again in our text, let's look at it together. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. So there's some things that we need to understand, all right? How that all, notice that word, all our fathers were under the cloud. And notice that word again, all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. So all of them enjoyed the blessings of God. But then we come to verse number five and here's what we know. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. They all enjoyed the benefits. They all enjoyed the blessings of God. We're going to look at those blessings as they're listed here for us. But though they all enjoyed those blessings, many of them did not please God and many of them were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, they were not called to dwell in the wilderness. They were called out of Egypt to go into the land of Canaan. And the land of Canaan is a picture for us. It is a picture not of heaven. It is a picture of our life in Christ, possessing all that he has given to us, living triumphantly, victoriously in service to the Lord Jesus. It does not mean that we will not have battles. There were many battles to face in Canaan. There were many struggles, but they were able to win the battles and prevail through the battles in the power of God. And as we live in this world, we who know the Lord, who uh, are entered into that covenant relationship with him by faith through his blood, we are on the winning side. We are not to live in the wilderness short of his promises, but we are to possess the blessings of the Lord. Is that your experience tonight? Would you consider yourself to be a Canaan dwelling Christian or would you consider yourself to be wandering in the wilderness? This group enjoyed the blessings, but they had the potential to fall. Now let's look at the blessings they enjoyed. First of all, we see uh, that in verse one, all our fathers were under the cloud. That cloud, if you'll remember, uh, went with them. In fact, that cloud led them. It provided guidance for them. That cloud signified the presence of God. In the heat of the day, it protected them from the sun and the elements. In the cold of the night, that cloud, that pillar of cloud became a pillar of fire which warmed them uh, through the cold desert nights. It also prevented Pharaoh and his army from overtaking them. You know, there are times when we feel as if the devil and the world are pursuing us and about to overtake us. 
We must rest in the presence of God, that cloud of protection that will keep us from the enemy. So this cloud signified God's presence with them. Do you know that every time we meet together, God is with us? Do you know that no matter where we go individually, that if we know Christ, God is with us? He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He indwells us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. All our fathers were under the cloud. What a blessing it is that the spirit of Christ dwells within us. They were all baptized, verse 2, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were, uh, they were baptized unto Moses. Notice in verse 1 before that statement, and all passed through the sea. They all experienced the delivering power of God. They all experienced his strong and mighty arm, which parted the waters and led them through on dry land. They witnessed as the waters came back together and the Egyptians drowned in the sea. They experienced the delivering power of God. They experienced his presence in the form of the cloud. Verse 2, they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They entered into a personal relationship, a covenant relationship. They had a spiritual leader. His name was Moses. We've been baptized into Christ. He is our leader. He's our shepherd. Verse 3, and did all eat the same spiritual meat? He sustained them in the wilderness with manna. He took care of them. Verse four, and did drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. You see the bread, the manna, that signifies Christ. He is the bread of life. He's that bread in John six that came down from heaven that sustained uh, the men of Israel, the families, the children of Israel in the wilderness. And he's also that drink. He said, come and take of the water of life freely. He said to the woman, I have water in John chapter four. I have water. And if you drink that water, it'll be in you. A well of water springing up into life everlasting. You see, they enjoyed the blessings of God. They enjoyed the protection of God. They enjoyed the provisions of God. They enjoyed the presence of God. What, what a great blessing. But the Bible said that though they all enjoyed that in verse 5, but with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They fell into the wilderness. Though it, they enjoyed these blessings and privileges, they fell because they did not please the Lord. Let me ask you a question tonight an honest question for you to ask yourself, are you pleasing the Lord? Does your life please him? You say, well, I know him as my savior. I've asked him to forgive me of my sins, but are you living in obedience? Are you living in the victory that Christ has won? Are you dwelling with him in Canaan or are you wandering in the wilderness bound to your sin, bound to your flesh? Are you pleasing God? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that God is? Do you believe he is? When you, when you, when you try to 
make decisions about your life and what you're going to do with your life. What are you going to do with your time? What are you going to do with your finances? What are you going to do with your leisure? What are you going to do on the Lord's day? Are you going to participate in the ministry? Are you going to witness and, and, and serve God? Are you going to read the word of God? Are you going to pray and seek him? Are you willing to serve him? When you consider all of those decisions that you make, do you believe that God is? If you believe that God is, then that changes the way you make your decisions and it changes the decisions that you make. They must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, even when it doesn't seem like I'm going to be blessed, when there are sacrifices that I have to make to serve him, I have to keep in mind that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When there's more month than there is money and you've got a decision about your stewardship, know that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you don't have time to pray, understand that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When it doesn't seem that you have time for serving God, you're just too busy. Understand that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's an example for us here, a warning for us that we must heed because although we are blessed, we have the potential to fall far short of where God would have us to be. Now, I just want to say this in a personal way. I believe that God has abundantly blessed our church. Abundantly. Uh, we have enjoyed singing tonight these hymns. God's presence is with us. Uh, we've enjoyed beautiful music. I've been here privileged to be the pastor here for over 13 years. And uh, we've been abundantly blessed here at Tabernacle far before I came here. Uh, already we were blessed and have been throughout the history of this church. You've been blessed with faithful pastors who have preached the truth of the word of God. You've been blessed to have the ministry of the Christian school and you've been blessed by uh, uh, the wonderful fellowship that we've enjoyed uh, throughout the history of our church. God has blessed us. We have the truth. We have fellowship we love one another. Yes, we have our faults. Yes, we have our problems, just like all ministries do. But we have enjoyed in particular, I believe, the blessings of God. But let's not rest upon our blessedness. Let's not conclude that we've somehow arrived because we must be careful lest we fall. There is a warning to heed. And may God help us fearfully, humbly to heed that warning. Let me give you a second thing tonight. Lest we fall, there is a watch to keep. There's a watch to keep. 
Now, those who have been warned certainly need to be watchful. And so the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 6, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians who are concerned about their liberty, be careful, you could fall in your pursuit of liberty. You know, our hearts are deceptive, desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, and we often masquerade our sinful, carnal desires in the, in the, uh, in the wardrobe of liberty. We talk about liberty, but we really want excuses to do what we want to do, and we have to be careful there. And he says, so these Old Testament saints, the children of Israel, and they're wandering in the wilderness, that is an example for us to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. This, this warning needs to be heeded and the watch needs to be kept. Now, he exposes some dangers here. First of all, he exposes the danger of lust to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. I'd like for you to take your Bible and hold your place in 1 Corinthians and go with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. He's speaking here of the danger of lust, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now the word lust speaks of desire. And here he's speaking of their desire not to please God or serve God, but they desired evil things to please themselves and their flesh. What is it that we desire? What are the things that we lust after and wish to have? Things that perhaps God has not provided for us. Can we not trust him in his wisdom and in his love to provide all that we need? The answer to that question is yes. Shall he not with him, with his son, give us all things? The answer is yes. But sometimes we, we don't have things because though we ask for them, the Bible says we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our lusts, our sinful desires that are outside of God's provision. That's exactly what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness in Psalm 78. The Bible tells us in verse 10, they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. Verse 11, and forget his works and his wonders that he showed them. Despite all those blessings that we just listed, in verses 1 through 5, they forgot them. We all have a tendency to forget, do we not? We forget what God has done, but we certainly remember all that he didn't do that we expected. Verse 12, marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. God dug a well in the wilderness and he dug it in a rock. 
and he broke it open. There was enough water that came out of that rock to quench all of their thirst. Verse 16, he brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers, rivers in the desert. That's what God did. Verse 17, and they sinned yet more against him by provoking the most high in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore, the Lord heard this and was wroth. He was angry. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and an anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Every time we have a need, we have an opportunity to believe God and trust him. Every time. What will we do? They believe not God. They trusted not in his salvation. Verse 23, though he commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angel food. He sent them meat to the full. He gave them more than they could ever desire. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven and by his power, he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. So they did eat and were well filled for he gave them, notice this please, their own desire. Remember they said, our soul loatheth this light bread. We're tired of this manna. We want go, to go back to the flesh pots of Egypt. So God gave them flesh. He sent the quail. And they consumed the quail. He gave them their own desire. Do you know that when you're dissatisfied with God because of your lust for evil things, God will allow you to fulfill your lusts. Verse 30, they were not estranged from their lusts, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. Notice verse 33, this is how they spent their days. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. Days of vanity, years of trouble. They did not please God. They fell in the wilderness. Why? Because they desired evil things. Now our flesh desires evil things. That's a part of who we are. How do we combat that? How do we fight that? Well, we must learn to feast on the things that God has given us to develop an appetite for the bread of life, to drink water, from the rock, Jesus. And once we've been filled with that, then our craving for this world will begin to subside. And the more we feast on Christ, the more that we learn to spend time with him, the more that we do what he has given us to do, the more we will desire 
to take in that bread. But when we neglect it, our flesh prevails and we desire evil things and we displease our God and we fall in the wilderness. But notice another danger, the danger of idolatry. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This scene unfolds at the Mount Sinai. Moses is on the mountain. He's been gone for days. And they said, Let, let's make us an idol. And they worship that golden calf that Aaron crafted. They worship that golden calf as if it was the God who delivered them. And they practice the immoral things that they had witnessed in Egypt because that's what they knew. They developed their pattern of worship from the world. Let me just say a word here. We live in an age where many churches are developing their pattern of worship, not from the word, but from the world. God prescribes the way he is to be worshiped. And may God help us to be faithful to him. Neither be idolaters. What is it that means more to you than God? That's your idol. Then there's the danger of fornication. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. You see, idolatry will lead us to immorality. We live in a nation that worships sex. As, as the Bible says in the book of Romans, although they know that the things they're doing is worthy of death, they still do them and have pleasure in them. That is the world in which we live. A world that is sexually perverted. Fornication is the rule, not the exception but the rule of the day. Then there's the danger of tempting Christ. Look at verse nine. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Tempting Christ, seeing how far you can push him, seeing how much you can get away with. Trying to get God to jump at your command. He's not your genie in a bottle. He's your God. You submit to him. Then we see in verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. God hates complaining. Discontentment. Well, I, I wish I had something better. I wish I had something more. And by the way, I think this is a particular, it's a particular problem for all of us but, but I note that a lot of men wrestle with this thing of discontentment. Contentment about their career, their occupation, contentment about their salary, contentment about their family, contentment. Let's learn to be content and thank God for what he's given us. Contentment. When we're not content, what do we do? We complain. And when we complain, we sin against God. We accuse God of not being good, of not being wise. When we compare ourselves with ourselves, well, he's got that and I don't. 
Well, instead of thinking about what he has that you don't have, think about all that God has given you. And do you know how much of it you deserve? None of it. And neither do I. You see, God says, there's a watch to keep. Notice here in verse 11, all these things happen unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed. In other words, look at this. Study this example. Keep a watch over your own heart and your own soul. Discern the dangers and do not fall into these snares. Why? Because you can fall. Our church could fall. In Revelation, what does the Lord say to the churches in Ephesus? He said, repent, lest I remove your candlestick. I don't want the Lord to withdraw his hand of blessing from this church, do you? From our homes, from our lives. It doesn't mean we're perfect people. It doesn't mean that we will not be ensnared by these things for all of us deal with these things. But when we deal with them, we can go to him and confess them and forsake them. And some of us have particular struggles in areas that others do not have, but we all have particular struggles and we can learn to look to Christ and his sufficiency and live in his power and live in his strength and choose to obey his word and live in the blessing. So lest we fall, there is number one, a warning to heed. Understand that we could all fall. Lest we fall, number two, there is a watch to keep. Then number three, lest we fall, there is a way to escape. There's a way to escape. Temptation is strong, right? James said that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. You see, that temptation, the root of it resides within our heart. The flesh wants more. And then we are drawn away. We see things. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. Enticed. It's a, it's a strong and powerful force, this temptation. There's a lot of pressure to submit and yield to this temptation. It can seem at times overpowering, but God has given us a promise here. There's a way to escape. Look at verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Temptation, trials, troubles, enticements to sin. Think of Joseph in the house of Potiphar so far from home. Potiphar's wife says, lie with me. She pressed him daily. 
He was under pressure. In a moment when she had no other person in the house, what did she do? She grabbed him. She took hold of him. She said, lie with me, Joseph. Nobody will know it. Nobody will see it. He said, how can I do this great sin against God? And what did he do? He fled. He fled. There was a way for him to escape. And God has provided us in this pressure-packed world a way to escape. You say, well, there are financial pressures, and I've got to do what I've got to do to escape these financial pressures, even if it means I'm not going to be a faithful steward or if it means that I'm going to partake in practices that I should not be engaged in. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's no excuse. We must trust God. There is a way to escape. I, I can't handle this situation in my home any longer. I, I can't handle this situation in work any longer. I, I can't handle this difficulty that I'm facing. God said there is a way to escape the pressure. Now, if you choose to take matters in your own hands, if you choose to refuse God's way and go your way, then you need to be careful lest you fall. Now look in verse 13. There's some comfort here in these verses. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is, what's the next word? Common to man. Now I believe that Satan uses uh, his demonic power and he uses demons to entice us. I believe that. I, I believe that Satan is no doubt strong and powerful. But the Bible makes us a promise that he cannot overpower us with temptation. He cannot overpower us. I remember when I was a kid, uh, Flip Wilson was on the television. And uh, I mean, I was a really small kid, you know, back in those days. And uh, Flip Wilson would say, the devil made me do it. And I heard him say it. So I borrowed his terminology. I told my mom and dad, the devil made me do it. I've noticed uh, that the, uh, the leaves don't fall far from the tree, right? Because I got lots of little apples that they've learned how to imitate things they hear too. The devil made me do it. Well, the devil cannot overpower me and make me sin against God. No, I choose to do that. See, this temptation that I face and that you face, it, it's, it's not an unusually strong temptation that we are not able to endure because God said it is common to man. And he goes forward and he, goes, he gives us a little more understanding of this. But God is faithful. Wait a minute. In the midst of my temptation, God is what? He is? He that cometh to God must believe that he is? and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. God is faithful in the midst of your temptation tomorrow on the job. Why don't you remind yourself that God is faithful? In the midst of your temptation with financial difficulties or in relationships or, or in your temptation to, to resist some bad habit or some besetting sin, why don't you remind yourself that God is faithful? Remember, we have to learn these truths, remember these truths, and apply these truths if we are to keep from falling. God is faithful. 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond the ability to escape. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, how did Joseph escape? What did he do? He ran. He ran. He ran. When Esther was summoned by Mordecai to go into the king and she feared for her life, she was afraid that he would put her to death if she went in to speak to the king on behalf of the children of Israel who had been condemned to die, her own people, she herself. How did she escape that temptation to be so filled with fear that she would not go in? She said, pray for me. Pray for me. And the people of God encouraged her. Remember the words of her uncle Mordecai. Who knows if you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You've got to do this. And we'll pray for you. You see, there's a way to escape. And that way is Christ. Maybe tonight you're, you're bound to some sin. Bound to some iniquity. Filled with fear. I want you to know there is a way to escape. And we have to run to that route of escape. And where is it found? It's found in Jesus. It's found in him. Do you believe that he has the power to hold you up? Oh, he has the power. Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, it says, who art thou that judgest another man's servant? I, I want us to look there. Would you look there with me? Romans, I believe it's Romans chapter 14. I hope I'm able to find it. It's coming to my mind. Romans 14 and verse 4. Let's look in verse 1. Him that is weak in faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. You know, there are in the body of Christ those who are strong in faith and there are those who are weak in faith. There are those who seem to be walking and running, and there are those who seem to be limping along. Oftentimes I have limped, and many of you have too. So he says, receive the one that is weak in the faith, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Well, he's really dealing in principle with the same thing the Corinthians had asked. And he's saying, look, you have knowledge, you have conscience, you have love, you have questions that uh, aren't necessarily clear, and you're wondering what you should do, and what things you should participate in. And there are people who are strong in faith and those who are weak in faith. And be careful that you do, do not judge one another. In this room, there are people who have standards and convictions that other people do not share. And those people have convictions that those who might perceive themselves to be stronger do not possess. It's really hard to be consistent, isn't it? 
It's very difficult to do so. And if we're not careful, we'll judge by the wrong standard and we'll become judgmental. So he says in verse four, who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, notice this please in verse four, he shall be holding up for God is able to make him stand. Who are we resting on? We are to rest on Jesus. He is the one who can keep us from falling. And when it's all said and done, where do we want to be? As a Christian, as a church, we don't want to be a church that spends its time wandering in circles in the wilderness, who despite the provision of God with the bread and water are not satisfied and not full, craving the flesh pots of Egypt. We don't want that for our lives, for our homes, and for our church. So may God help us to take heed lest we fall. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you. And thank you once again for listening.